Tappers, what's up? It is the Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap presented to you by Tabby Keg Sports. Hope you're doing well. Halfway through the week already. We are talking about why the Buffalo Bills potential Austin rumors are exactly why the Packers should never have owners. Um, it's a great look. It's a great use case as to why ownership for the Green Bay Packers should never exist. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and use the Bills as an example. Uh, we'll also talk about the Milwaukee Bucks adding Rodney Hood and bringing back George Hill, kind of continuing to retool their bench. And then lastly, we'll talk about the unwritten rules of baseball, everyone's favorite. Uh, we'll talk about the Brewers deciding to put Adrian Hauser on the bench after he had thrown 104 pitches and no hitter, led to a Brewers loss. Um, Craig Council and Hauser kind of differing, differing opinions on that. Uh, so we'll talk about that and explain why Council probably was more right than Hauser. But let's start with the Buffalo Bills and the Green and how it relates to the Green Bay Packers. So the Buffalo Bills, the story came out a couple days ago. Uh, so I'm a little behind, but obviously we had NBA free agency and thinking through what kind of topics to talk about. I felt like this was a good one because there were so many people this offseason who said if the Packers had an owner, they could easily figure this Aaron Rodgers thing out or their owner would have figured out the Aaron Rodgers drama and they wouldn't really have had as much drama with Aaron Rodgers if they in fact had an owner. And that the there and there are a lot of people who do believe this that the Packers should be owned. It should not be community owned anymore, and someone should be running the show, not necessarily Mark Murphy, uh, but somebody else should be running the show. It's kind of crazy to me that these are the same people who are bitching about the Bucks ownership, yet they want the Packers to be owned as well. It's it's a weird like Venn diagram. It's like we hate the Bucks owners. But actually, if we had owners for the Packers, we would be far better off, which is not true in the slightest. Now, I know Brewer ownership, which I think rubs people the wrong way from time to time. Again, they get criticisms of cheap, but more people like the Brewers owners than they don't like the Brewers owners. I would say in popularity, if we had to do it from Mark Murphy, Mark Ananasio, and uh Mark Lazary, all the Marks, right? A lot of Marks, Mark Lazary, Wes Edens, and Jamie Dynan. I would say in a favorability scale, I would say Ananasio is probably number one. I would probably say Edens, Lazary, and Dynan are number two, and I would say Mark Murphy's last. But I don't know, maybe Mark Murphy's you know higher, but they're two out of three of those guys are very unfavorable. So anyways, there are people who have said, oh yeah, we need ownership, and ownership would help this... Aaron Rodgers relationship, it would help so many other things and it would just be a different approach. And because the Packers don't have an owner, they're able to kind of go carte blanche and do whatever the hell they want. Well, the Buffalo Bills are similar to the Green Bay Packers in terms of size, in terms of community, in terms of, you know, the area that they play, you know, football in. Because Buffalo is not a major market by any means. Um, they only have two professional sports franchises, the Bills and the Sabres. Now, they did host the Toronto Blue Jays, but that was mostly because of COVID versus the Blue Jays were moving to Buffalo. I don't think that is happening anytime soon. So now that Buffalo needs a new stadium, they are being talked about in rumors of relocation, um, that Austin might be interested in acquiring the Bills, um, that 
Portland or Sacramento are interested in bringing the Bills in, or a team like or a city like Orlando potentially wanting the Buffalo Bills, so that the Buffalo Bills, if they're not going to get the stadium, you know, renovated or a new stadium in general that would be completely funded by taxpayer money, um, they would move to another city that would be happily ready to take them. Now, this is obviously a classic negotiating tool that we've seen from time and time throughout sports, probably the last 20 years, 30 years. There's the infamous Bill Simmons line when he had his short-lived HBO show that I, I think billionaire owners should pay for their own fucking stadiums, um, which, is, which holds very true here, right? You have the, the Buffalo Bills trying to get the taxpayers of Buffalo to fit foot a bill for a new stadium. And that seems pretty ridiculous given that they have the Pelegas or Pelegas, I think I said their name right. They have a pretty, they're pretty well off. They can take care of themselves. They can make things happen. I, I am sort of as most things, and this is probably why I don't have a more popular show or a more popular blog is I sort of sit on the fence. I'm not all the way to the one side of they should pay for their own fucking stadiums, but I'm also not going to say like, hey, you should be fully funded by taxpayers. I think that, yes, you can work on some sort of thing so that the taxpayers of Buffalo help out, but they should not foot the bill. They shouldn't even foot 50% of the bill. They should foot probably less than 25% of the bill. Yet because everybody's self-interested, everybody is a capitalist, they want to make sure that their pockets get lined and that it doesn't cost them anything to build that stadium. The ROI that the ownership of the Buffalo Bills get from a fully funded tax tax stadium is out of this world. They are going to make so much money because they aren't putting up any of their own money. They are going to be able to just get the crazy ROI on it. And they already asked for the Sabres to get their renovations started. So this is now the second one that they're going to the well to say, we need more support. So it feels kind of ridiculous, right? It's like, you guys are bending us over backwards to keep our professional sports teams here in Buffalo, which is not a major market. So if you're the Green Bay Packers, and the Green Bay Packers had ownership. What's to say that this wouldn't happen to the Packers? Now, I know Lambeau Field's been able to be renovated. It looks great. You have Titletown. It's more of a far-fetched reality that the Packers would ever be up for potential relocation. But what's to say if an owner you know, didn't get what he wanted in you know, 10 years, 20 years, as Lambeau needs renovations yet again, and there, he's like, all right, I'm going to move. I'm going to move this team. And to me, the Packers would have been on the chopping block if they had an if they had an owner in the '80s when things weren't good. When the Packers were playing three games in in Milwaukee, like that would have happened. There would have been real sort of relocation talks for the Green Bay Packers. And because they are community owned, you don't have to worry about that. So it blows my mind that there are people who would want an ownership group and have to worry about this garbage out of Buffalo. And the only reason that they're trying to threaten with a relocation is because they want taxpayers to pay out of desperation. And I'm sorry, but 
I don't know if that's how it works in today's society. I think that there are more people who are on the progressive side where they do not want to cater to billionaires. Even people who maybe are a little more right than they are left, I still don't think the catering to billionaires happens. The naivety of that is gone. It doesn't exist. And so if you had to deal with that as a Green Bay Packer fan on a regular basis, that would be that would be hell, man. That would not be easy to have to make sure that our owners are happy and that our owners are getting renovations. And Green Bay being a small city that it is, it, it's I don't I don't even know what would they be able to foot a tax bill for any sort of NFL renovations. I'm unsure. And I know that, that Green Bay has kind of got carte blanche in the city, right? They are able to do whatever they want, and they're the reason why Green Bay tourism, why the Green Bay economy thrives in the fall and you saw the losses of not having fans what it did to that economy as because of covid last year so it the packers are very important to the city of green bay maybe more so than the buffalo bills are important to the city of buffalo that said because the packers don't have to deal with an ownership group they never have to fear relocation they never have to fear scummy sort of politics like the plugas are running here in the in the media by making sure it is known they're going to relocate and so you should be thankful that the Green Bay Packers are community owned. And yeah, sometimes you have to deal with bullshit like the Aaron Rodgers thing or Mark Murphy saying something dumb. But at least because they're community owned, you never have to deal with a Bills situation as a Packer fan. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. So Milwaukee Bucks continue to make some moves in free agency. They are kind of done um, now. They did not use their mid-level exception, which I'm sure will drive a lot of people crazy. I want to save that as a topic for Mitch and I tonight. Uh, Tabby the Keg, by the way, tomorrow should be out, I don't know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Should be in your podcast feed by then. Um, so if you need to listen before bed, you need a little nighttime music, or you need me to wake you up in the morning, that will be there for you. So yes, the Bucks decided probably not to use their mid-level exception because they are capped out in terms of a roster. They'd have to make a roster move to add anyone else. They're at 15 guys right now uh, as the Bucks add Rodney Hood and George Hill to their, their Bucks bench. Now, both players I like for the Bucks. I think they're good additions for the Bucks. They're, they solve some problems that the Bucks had last season. Rodney Hood, 6'8", great shooter, can kind of create off the dribble, which was desperately missed off the bench. Um, he's not a guy who's just a catch-and-shoot three-point threat. Um, and so there, that adds an element, right? That adds an element to what the Bucks are trying to do. I don't think Rodney Hood's a guy where he's going to be playing 30 minutes. He'll cut into maybe a little bit of what Pat was doing and probably take some of the P.J. Tucker minutes. And But he's a much more efficient shooter than Tucker could ever be. Um, and Rodney Hood's definitely going to have a good offensive game that fits right in with what Milwaukee's trying to do. And if Rodney Hood doesn't necessarily want to create off the dribble, he can certainly hang out in the corner and just be fed threes by Giannis, Brooke, Drew, and just sort of make hay that way. Now, the big problem with Rodney Hood is that he has injury issues. 
he's always seems to have something. It never seems like Rodney Hood can play a full season. I think only once in his NBA career has Rodney Hood played past 70 games in an 82-game series season. He tore his Achilles in 2019 in December, and there hasn't really been a sign that he's fully recovered from that. Now, an Achilles injury, just like an ACL injury, can sometimes be a two-year injury. So maybe Hood is now fully revived, fully ready to sort of make things happen. And I think Hood knows that he can parlay this into a bigger contract if he has a good year with the Bucks and say the Bucks, you know, get to the playoffs. Maybe they win another championship. Who knows, right? Hood knows that this can be a stepping stone. I think a lot of players do know that. And that's why a lot of players go to like the Lakers, the Warriors, the Heat even. Um, but the reason they go there now is not only for a championship, but it's a living situation thing. Like Otto Porter apparently turned down a mid-level exception to sign a minimum contract with the Warriors. I'm not saying that Otto Porter was offered by the Bucks, but it seems like if you compare Rodney Hood and Otto Porter, they could be similar and they had to kind of go in another direction. And I'm not reporting that. I'm just I'm speculating. Let's put it that way, that maybe that's why the Bucks went in another direction. They didn't use the MLE because there really wasn't anyone kind of worth it. And I know that that will drive Bucks fans crazy. Like I said, talk about tomorrow, but it's... It's just kind of sometimes how, how it works, how the cookie crumbles, right? And they still could maybe use it. Like a guy like Victor Oladipo, who I know a lot of people have sort of mentioned as a potential buck, I think that would be an interesting option for the MLE if that's the route the Bucks decide to go. MLE for those playing at home, uh, mid-level exception. Uh, in case you guys aren't basketball capologists, which I'm barely one. I'm not not that smart with some of this cap stuff, I'll be honest. But yeah, Rodney Hood, good ad. Um, just got to stay healthy. And if he stays healthy, I mean, it's a vital asset to the Bucks. Um, so their training staff is, I'm sure, already getting to work on how they can make sure Rodney Hood stays healthy throughout the years and not have one of those debilitating injuries where he's out for multiple weeks, months, maybe the season. The Bucks also brought back George Hill. George Hill returns to the Bucks. Um, it's kind of weird, right? Uh, George Hill reunites with the Bucks. Bryn Forbes uh, overnight uh, announced that he's signing with the San Antonio Spurs again. So Forbes back in Spurs culture, uh, deciding to rejoin that team. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to see reunions of all of all sorts, right? And so George Hill. Reuniting with the Milwaukee Bucks gives the Milwaukee Bucks an established point guard off the bench. It also gives the Milwaukee Bucks a vocal leader, a guy who you can rally behind. Um, I think George Hill, while he's not P.J. Tucker, he has some of those P.J. Tucker abilities to sort of make sure that all the guys stay locked in and that he can kind of lead the way. Now, he's a different cat. Um, George Hill is definitely a guy who goes by the beat of his own drum without question, but he has fit in with this Milwaukee team before. Um, we have seen him, you know, have big games as a as a member of this team. He we saw George Hill as a closer for this team in certain spots when Eric Bledsoe couldn't do it. So George Hill has you know, the ability to fit right in with what the Bucks are trying to do. I'm sure it's bittersweet for him to watch the Bucks win a championship in the only year he has not been on the Bucks roster in the last few. That has to sting. That has to hurt if you're George Hill. And it has to inspire you to try to win one yourself. 
Now, the nice thing about George Hill, and one of the things that I'm interested in, is he has less pressure on him. He has less pressure on him altogether than he did in his last stint with Milwaukee because Drew Holiday's there. Drew Holiday is a much better player than Eric Bledsoe. George Hill will not be required to close out basketball games. That will not be a part of George Hill's game. He will not be in that closing lineup. So will it actually play into George Hill doing more? I hope it doesn't frustrate George Hill. I hope he understands that, that he's not going to get as many minutes because Drew Holiday is a different animal. And Drew Holiday is a guy that is not Eric Bledsoe and does not require someone else to close the game because he's a complete, complete non-factor. Um, so I'll be curious to see if that affects George Hill in any way. I don't think it will. I think obviously George probably understands that. I mean, he well, I'm sure he watched the Bucks or at least knew what the Bucks were doing. George Hill, again, beat of his own drum. Not a guy that really, I think, watches a lot of basketball. So I, I, I hesitate to say like he watched it. But I'm sure he looked through some of this stuff and been like, all right, Drew's the guy. I'm the backup. Like, that's fine. I know I'm not going to be in that closing lineup probably like it used to be like he's probably okay with that because i'm sure if you looked around the nba there's not a lot of teams where you're like oh yeah george hill's part of our closing five and those teams that do would consider george hill for their closing five are probably drafting in the lottery next year all right to wrap up the show today quicker show than we've had um we've had some longer podcasts the last few weeks so kind of a little shorter than than what we've had <coughs> talking about the unwritten rules of baseball one of the favorite topics of so many uh you had the milwaukee brewers lose last night to the pittsburgh pirates eight to five but before the brewers had lost to the pirates they were up four to nothing adrian hauser was pitching a no hitter uh, he had it rolling he was at 104 pitches um, when Hauser exited, he was facing the first two batters. And to Craig Council, what he said in the media is if anyone got on, we were going to bring in Norris. That was the plan all along. Everybody was aligned. Now, Hauser said to the media yesterday that he felt he could have continued. He would have liked to see it out. And that obviously didn't happen. This is always a really tough call. But unfortunately, Craig Council is right. Even though the Brewers lost... It's, council still made the right decision. And Hauser acknowledged, like, hey, I know we're going from 60 to 162. We got to protect our arms. But then it was like, I still think I could have done this. So I think what Adrian Hauser is struggling with is seeing I pitched awesome and my team kind of let me down, especially the, the, the inning after I get, or the, during the inning I got out, my team let me down. And I'm sure he's like team guy, right? I'm not trying to accuse him of being an individual here. Rather, I'm just saying I'm sure he's frustrated. But in the long run, it makes more sense for the Brewers not to try to push for a no-hitter win against a lowly Pittsburgh Pirates team. It just doesn't. There's nothing about that that says the Brewers should push for it. It's not going to ruin team chemistry. It's not going to derail the Brewers and the pitching staff's going to be offended that say, oh, okay, now we're not going to get to finish off a, a no-hitter. Like if we have that opportunity, we're not going to get a chance to finish it off. I think they should know Craig Council well enough to say Craig's pretty 
tight to the vest with those pitching. He doesn't let pitchers go very long. It's rare that you see a pitcher go into the 110s or the 120s with the Brewers. I'd probably have to look through game logs, but I'd be hard-pressed to find anyone this year who's gone 120 pitches. I'd probably be hard-pressed to find somebody who did it last year, or and I'm sure maybe the answer's in the year before. But there is no way that Craig Council was making Adrian Hauser go out there for more pitches when Adrian Hauser, A, is a young guy, B, he, the ramp up like he referred to, C, because of the piggybacking stuff, because they're trying to make sure the starters don't get overworked and have dead arms by the playoffs, he was piggybacking just a little while ago. So it wasn't like Adrian Hauser was in his full five-day rotation. So as mad as Adrian Hauser wants to be, I'm sorry, Craig Council's right. And I hate to be flippant, but this game doesn't really matter. Like, I understand it mattered to Hauser, but it doesn't exactly matter to the Milwaukee Bucks. Or Milwaukee Bucks. It doesn't really... It doesn't matter to the Milwaukee Brewers. It just doesn't. It's, it's just a game in August. Would you like to beat the Pirates every time because they're a bad baseball team? Yes, of course. That, that would be the dream. But unfortunately, baseball is a dumb sport. You can't win every game. You just can't, okay? Things like Gregory Polanco robbing Eduardo Escobar at the mound or Gregory Polanco hitting it in the infield at the only place where there wasn't a defender. Like, those dumb things are going to happen. And if Adrian Hauser saw the Brewers win 6-5, to five, like, let's say... Escobar actually hits the home run out. He gets a little more depth on it, and that ball goes out of the ballpark. Is anybody concerned with Adrian Hauser and the fact that he wasn't able to get a no-hitter? I mean, maybe it's a talking topic, right? We have hours to fill, as Mitch likes to remind us, with sports radio. So maybe they do talk a little bit about it. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be as serious because the Brewers won. Winning cures everything. Hauser probably isn't as mopey and said, well, I, sh- I should have stayed out there. I wanted to be out there. And yeah, that's that's first time in a long time I think we've seen a player go against Craig Council. And I don't think Craig Council is going to take it seriously or be offended. Craig Council is a, pl- a former player. He gets it, right? He gets the fact that these guys want to be out there and they want to be there supporting their team. But it was the right move because there's no reason that the Brewers should have tried to overdo it with one of their pitchers in early August against a team like the Pirates. Now, if you ask me, Charlie, well, what if it was the Giants? What if they had a no-hitter going against the Giants? That is a little different, okay? It is. And I and you're like, well, how? It's a, it's a few days later. Well, the Brewers are looking up to the Giants in the National League overall. Those games matter a little bit more. They carry a little more weight than what the Brewers had dealing with on Tuesday. And so to say, all right, we can get a win against the Giants versus we're going to trust our COVID beleaguered bullpen. Um, yeah, it's it's totally a different, different idea. Or if it's Brandon Woodruff, honestly. If Brandon Woodruff's throwing the no-hitter, Brandon Woodruff has sort of a little more experience and has has dealt with more innings, inning stress and inning fatigue on his arm. So I'm not worried as much with Brandon Woodruff. But Adrian Hauser is still a young pup. And it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Damned if you do, Hauser goes out the next game. He feels a tweak. He feels something. 
he then has to go on the DL, and you're now out as starter. Damn it, if you don't, you saw what happened. They lost the game. It's part of baseball sometimes. We're just going to have these moments where it's not going to feel like it's the right move because you want to win this game. But in reality, the Brewers didn't need this win, especially considering the Reds lost, the Cardinals lost, the Cubs lost. Everybody lost around them. The only team that gained a game on the Brewers was the Pittsburgh Pirates. Everybody else stayed stagnant. So in a lot of ways, this game had less meaning because of that. And it wasn't like, okay, the Reds and the Cardinals both got a game on the Brewers yesterday. That didn't happen. In fact, it was it's just washed away. And so now the Brewers will get ready to play a afternoon game after a marathon of a night game. Can't imagine that's going to feel good. Steven Brault, who's had some good success against the Brewers uh, facing off, you're probably... If you're listening to this in the afternoon, you're probably already having the Brewer game on. That's all right. That's why we put it at the end. So if you're like, I don't even want to hear Brewer talk, I can turn it off and go. All right. That does it for our show. We'll be back tomorrow with Mitch Ross. We are doing Tapping the Keg. We are going to talk about Bucks Free Agency. We're going to talk about if the Brewers want the one seed or not. And any training camp storylines that we can predict. Because I feel like... I don't know about you guys, but I I feel like we haven't really seen a ton of storylines besides the Rodgers stuff develop. I think Juwan Waddle, I think that's his last name, right, is is getting some hype. He's kind of the first training camp all-star, but we really haven't seen a ton of major stories so far. Um, We are still still waiting on Juwan Winfrey, excuse me, not Juwan Waddle, Juwan Winfrey. I was close, I had a W. But anyways, yeah, he's the only like training camp all-star so far. There will be more that develop. It's kind of how it goes. Um, that's that's part of the allure of training camp, just like any other preseason or spring training. You get excited about guys who sometimes never amount to shit. But you never know. Maybe maybe Juwan Winfrey does have a spot on this roster. But yeah, we'll talk about a little training camp storyline prediction. Uh, with Mitch, as well as Free Agency and Brewers Giants. So really good show. Excited for that tomorrow. Uh, We'll be back uh, on the Daily Tap side Friday. So we'll wrap up the show Friday. And then next week, we'll have uh, our first Daily Tap guest. Um, We're going to try to be doing guests more often. Um, Maybe not every week, but definitely something as we, we continue on and build the brand and try to expand our reach. We want to have more people on. So I have a, a cool guest book next week. I'm excited for him to join us um, to talk a, a little bit about his life and what he does. Um, so stay tuned on that. And uh, we'll let you know when we uh, when we are going to have a, our first guest in a long time. Uh, I think our last one was Shannon, which was great. Um, and if you haven't listened to that DJ podcast, I would highly recommend it. But yeah, that was the last time we had one on. And hopefully we're going to have more to come. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye.